Good morning, everyone. There is nothing sweeter than to taste your word of grace. To gain knowledge of your word is to see the Savior's face. To read about who you are has brought me so much joy. There is nothing sweeter than to learn your word each day. To understand the word of truth is to find the words to pray. To search and know the will of God is through the word of life. Oh, your word's my daily bread. Living my life by all that you have said. Oh, your word's my guiding light. It teaches me what's wrong and what is right. There is nothing sweeter than your word that's tried and true. It reveals the future things and all that you will do to look into the mind of Christ give my life complete oh your words incomparable doing what men think is impossible oh your words omnipotent it's saving souls so magnificent and there is nothing sweeter than your word that is so pure heaven and earth will pass away but your word will endure forever I will praise your word for all that he has is nothing sweeter than your word. There is nothing sweeter than your word. Mm -hmm. I love your All right, good morning again, and uh, if you could turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, I'll be right back with you. Let me hang up this guitar. Hey, how do you like my new light, my lighting? I think I got it looking pretty good. All right, I'll be right back.
Alrighty, I am back. I'm just trying to line up myself where I am with the with the camera. Yeah. New setup. I've just changed the room around just slightly. I'm just sitting here. You can probably laugh. But I'm just trying to, you know, um, I've been here for almost a year and a half. And I think I got it the way it should be for the broadcast. I mean, I could study in any old way, but I, uh, so I moved, I, I'm sitting there looking at Lord. What do I, what do I need? I want to get the you know to get my one of my bookcases in the background, so um, you can see a, the long shot. So I get an, a, one uh, I get one over there, and I got two ba uh, um, bookcases over there, and one small one over here. So I, I I like the way they look in the background. So I used to do it. I always wanted to do that, but I couldn't really I couldn't really do that in Massachusetts, my back at my parents' house because my library was in was in storage. <laughs> But anyways, with the, the funny thing is, is, like my library pretty much is a, vir a virtual library, with my Logos Bible program. I mean, I got how many? How many? I got fourteen thousand works, <laughs> and this is not even counting what I have here. So, and on my other computers. So, anyway, so it's pretty funny. So, I just wanted to make it look good, you know. And I don't. I, I'm not as you know. I look some of the videos recently, and uh, you know, I'm white as a go. I'm white as I'm white anyways, but. Um, Right as it goes, anyways, it's called the uh, what do you call it? Rockstar tan. You know, they, they were all white. They were studio tan, we used to call it. And uh, so, because we were in the studio all the time, we never said the light of day. Uh, so yeah, so I, I, you know, now I think it, it looks. I get this light that's used for this sort of thing, and uh, I think it looks good. It has different kind of shades of light, so which is perfect for what I need. So today's a cloudy day here, so I got a big. Um, window here when I have blinds, but it uh, on a sunny day, a bright sunny day, it can get uh, it can be too much light. So I, I'm hoping this should solve that problem, that light. And because uh, I, I had a guy who was doing my um, for Google Fiber, we we're upgrade. I'm upgrading the speed to my of my uh, internet, and uh, so he was like saying he's a cool guy, and he says I'll just get one of those lights. So I looked, I went on Amazon with him. We we got a light. So. I think it looks good, so I don't have. I'm too not full of shadows and everything, and you can see. You can't see my imperfect. I'm not even using makeup today. <laughs> not that I ever do, <laughs> but because uh, uh, you are what you is. I'm not trying to look that perf that uh, super slick here. Just want to make it look nice, decent. So, all right. So uh, we're gonna uh, we're coming to the end of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter two. Uh, today will be the first of two hours in Ephesians two twenty, where we have uh, just today we'll discuss the foundation of the church. Uh, who and what that is, and also the cornerstone of the church, and that's of course Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about the church, talk about the, uh, uh, so we'll see the apostles and the prophets, and that's not the Old Testament prophets, as we'll see, it's the New Testament prophets, and then um, of course the Lord Jesus Christ on uh, this coming Tuesday. So, and, I, and I've been announcing this too, uh, you know, every, I, I'm telling people like every couple of months, because I teach at, uh, for those of you know, know that um, I teach at uh, Doctoral Bible Church, which is a half mile down the road. So I teach on three classes really a week for them: two on Sunday and uh, one uh, with a, in the morning at nine thirty, another one at around quarter of ten, eleven o'clock, and there's a break in between. But so two one-hour classes. So and uh, on Sunday, and then one on Wednesday, and then uh, with Wednesday Bible Ministries, I'm teaching Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. So. People say, oh, you has got to be a big workload. It's like, actually, you know, teaching, as I said before, once in the Bible, this is, this is really nothing. It's not a lot of work. It's just teaching the class. So the work behind all this stuff is not the present presentation, really. It's the preparing the lessons. So the great thing with Dr. Bible Church, I have a whole bunch of stuff that I've, I've, I've taught over the years that I've never taught anybody, you know, that, that they've never heard. So um, 
and uh, but there's stuff you know like for instance I did Jude and they I taught Jude to them as well but I'm, when like Ephesians eventually I'm going to be teaching Ephesians to them and uh, as well so but the thing is with the six classes a week I don't know buddies te- I'm, I'm not you know I, I I'm very careful about I don't want to get you know burnt out or whatever you know get but I'm not I mean it's just like I I know how to pace myself you know and the other thing is I'm not I'm not married. I don't have any kids. So, you know, I don't have grandchildren like my buddy Jim Ricard. You might got to deal with. He's got grandchildren and houses. I, I don't, you know, I don't own anything. <laughs> I don't know. I have a wife. I don't have a kid. I don't have it. I don't have anything like to, to, to distract me, really, when you think about it. So, you know, when uh, everybody else is watching the Super Bowl, I'll probably be reading or studying my Greek or Hebrew or something, you know, because I enjoy it. I actually, people, I don't realize I'm, I'm, I enjoy what I do. So, but anyway, so I, but I, I'm still careful about, I want to be able to, one of the main reasons, like I want to, I'll take a, every couple of months, I'll take a break. So like, for instance, uh, we got, uh, when I finish chapter two off, which is going to be on Thursday, February 22nd, then we're going to take a, a, a couple of week break before we start Ephesians chapter three. And then, so that will resume classes uh, Tuesday, March 12th. So the last class will be after we finish Ephesians chapter two will be Thursday, February 22nd. And then we won't have our next class won't be till March 12th, Tuesday. And then I'll be doing that again. I think uh, I'll be doing that again when I'm going to do that again. I'm going to do that. uh, Yeah. In June. So in June, I'll be doing it again. And I'll be, in fact, I might, I I might be gone all the, I won't be teaching the whole month of July and half the month of June, the last half of June. And uh, one of the things I'm going to do is like, I, 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 there are other things I need to get done. And so, like for instance, I want to write some new songs. Um, I have a collection of songs I've started. I got three done. I'm itching to get more, but it's just getting the time to do that stuff. So, um, so I'm writing all the time and upgrading my articles, and I, you know, in that, in answering people's questions, I have somebody, you know, just just you know, little uh, administrative stuff. You know, I got to get. I'm changing my accountants with uh, Winston Bio Ministry to somebody local here, which is great. And I just got, you know, I got a lot of stuff. I got to do my taxes. <laughs> like, I got to do that. There's a lot of things I got to do, and I don't have the time to do it a lot of times with uh, my schedule. So, uh, anyways, but I'm having uh, I'm having a lot of fun here in, in Huntsville. And uh, if you're in the area, come on down. We're at Doctoral Bible Church. You can see me live. Uh, it's uh, at 1215 Russell Street in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. I'm located a half mile down the road. I'm broadcasting from my office here at 605, 603 O'Shaughnessy Ave Northeast, and uh, that's in Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, so I, uh, it, um, I really like the way it looks. It looks pretty good. So anyways, uh, so let's uh, let's take a moment of silent prayer. And uh, as we normally do, we take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves, determine if we're in fellowship with God because of the mental, verbal, or overactive sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5, 18, to be filled with the Spirit, and Colossians 3, 16, to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing and distracting to you, and of course we all have things that are bothering, disturbing, or tra- distracting to us, so let's uh, cast all our anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. He, he really does. So you, we know that from the cross, okay? When we were His enemies, He sent us out of the cross. So that's how much He cares about you. Now you're His child, His kid. I think He's going to take care of us, right? I have to constantly remind myself of those things, especially when things get crazy. <laughs> and you do too. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day to study your word. We thank you for the grace, the faith, the salvation you're working on behalf of eternity past, uh, in electing and predestining us to adoption as your sons, to be conformed to the image of your son. I thank you for the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of your son, Jesus Christ, at your right hand. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to res resurrection, in particular the baptism of the Spirit and our justification, which resulted in uh, us, the Spirit, being identified with your Son in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at your right hand, and making us a part of the new humanity with Jewish church-age believers, and also giving us the victory in a positional and a perfective sense over sin and Satan and his cosmic system, and, uh, and also giving us the potential to experience that victory now in time by appropriating by faith our union identification with your son, by considering ourselves dead to the sin nature and the cosmic system of Satan and alive to you. We thank you for the fact that you've given us eternal life and we can uh, personally encounter you through the process of fellowship and be affected by that encounter. And we just thank you for your word and the gift of the Spirit. And I pray the Spirit would do a, a wonderful job, an amazing job through your people that are in the audience, whether they're live or through the recordings at a later date and also of course, do a mighty work uh, through me as the communicator. Help me to, by the Spirit to, to, to teach this uh, subject. Uh, Ephesians 2.20 today, this verse, with accuracy and clarity, reverence and respect and power so that your people can receive their necessary spiritual nourishment. I also pray, again, that the Spirit would work mightily and powerfully through your people. Help your people to be sensitive to His Spirit's guidance and direction. Uh, to carefully consider uh, the passages and principles that would be noting today, in particular Ephesians 2.20 with the foundation of the church and all that's involved there. Help them to do it and, uh, in order to make personal application, reflect upon what they're being taught, and to make personal application, I pray that not only would they be as individuals spoken to individually as individuals, but also all of us as a corporate unit, Father. I also pray, Father, for the technology. I thank you for the technology. I thank you for... Uh, that we can broadcast live through YouTube. I think of the streaming video that they uh, provide, service that they provide. I pray it would function properly. And I also thank you for, uh, I pray the recordings, the, the video and the audio, and uh, will be, be no problems with those and upload all these things to our various websites, podcasts, and media platforms that you give to us. I pray you use those mightily. I pray uh, that uh, you would raise up more people who would, uh, uh, in positive volition for this ministry and the ones, thank you for the ones that we have around the world and that also would be uh, a good steward with the time, talent, and treasure, the truth that you've given to them and uh, and also would uh, raise up more people in addition to the ones we already have that would help us out in praying for us and also supporting us financially, Father. And I thank you for those that are already doing those things. So, Father, we pray for this service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All righty. You should be at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to read from today. Let's see. Today I'm going to read. I, I think yes, we went for the ESV the other day. Let's try a, a different one. Let's try, let's try the Good News Bible today, and uh, let's try uh, read from that. And uh, we'll start at Ephesians chapter two, verse one, and uh, then we're going to, as as is my custom, and I'll read chapter two from my translation, and then we'll begin to look at the first half of Ephesians 2.20, which, which again, it's going to talk about the foundation of the church, which the, are the apostles and the prophets. And uh, so we have a lot to say about those two temporary spiritual gifts that uh, are, have been discontinued since um, the apostles, uh, uh, last of them died in the first century, and also when the prophets, when the canon of Scripture was closed, there was no need for the New Testament prophets, as we'll see today. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, again, I'm reading from the Good News Bible today. In the past... You were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and sins. At that time, you followed the world's evil 
way, you obey the ruler of the spiritual powers in space, the spirit who now controls the people who disobey God. Of course, speaking of the devil. Actually, all of us were like them, the unsaved, and lived according to our natural desires, doing whatever suited the wishes of our own bodies and minds. In our natural condition, we, like everyone else, were destined to suffer God's anger. But God's mercy is so abundant and His love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, He brought us to life with Christ. It is by grace, by God's grace, that you've been saved. In our union with Christ Jesus, He raised us up with Him to rule with Him in the heavenly world. He did this to demonstrate for all time to come the extraordinary greatness of His grace and the love that He showed us in Christ Jesus. For it is by God's grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift, so that no one can boast about it. God has made us what we are, and in our union with Christ Jesus, He has created us for a life of good deeds, which He has already prepared for us to do. You Gentiles, by birth, called the uncircumcised, by the Jews, who call themselves the circumcised, which refers to what men do to their bodies. Remember what you were in the past. At that time, you were apart from Christ, you were foreigners, and did not belong to God's chosen people. You had no part in the covenants, which are based upon God's promises to His people, and you lived in this world without hope and without God. But now, in union with Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought us peace by making Jews and Gentiles one people. With His own body, He broke down the wall that separated them and kept them enemies. He abolished the Jewish law with its commandments and rules in order to create, create out of the two races, one new people in union with himself, and this way making peace. By his death on the cross, Christ destroyed their enmity. By means of the cross, he united both races into one body and brought them back to God. So Christ came and preached the good news of peace to all and to you Gentiles who were far away from God and to the Jews who were near to him. It is through Christ that all of us, Jews and Gentiles, are able to come in the one spirit into the presence of the Father. So then, you Gentiles are not foreigners or strangers any longer. You are no, now longer, uh, you are now fellow citizens with God's people and members of the family of God. You too are built upon the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets, the cornerstone being Christ Jesus himself. He is the one who holds the whole building together and makes it grow into a sacred temple dedicated to the Lord. In union with him, you too are being built together with all the others into a place where God lives through his spirit. And uh, before we go into uh, the, uh, the, uh, my translation, a reading of chapter 2 of, of uh, my translation, again, uh, for those who might be new to the study, and we just, we had a lot of people always pop it in new to Facebook or YouTube or uh, Winston.org or Logos Sermon site or the podcast at uh, Amazon Music, Spotify, iTunes. So uh, and you, so there's a lot of uh, new people always popping into these studies. So for those of you who might be new to this study, and uh, is uh, Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul in, uh, during his first Roman imprisonment, which he was eventually released from. It was written between 60 and 62 AD. And so he was under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier, according to Acts chapter 28, but he did have his own rented quarters. Uh, so he is the author of this uh, letter, contrary to uh, those who believe in pseudonymity. The uh, early church and the apostles, in particular Paul, did not uh, adhere to that whatsoever. Uh, we saw that uh, Irenaeus, early church father, on a work called On Baptism, uh, he said that a man trying to promote the fame of Paul, a pastor, uh, posed as Paul and, uh, and because he revered Paul, and he wrote a letter to church saying he was Paul, and he was not, and they excommunicated him. They got him out of the pulpit. 
Uh, Paul, uh, and uh, remember in Second Thessalonians chapter two, uh, he uh, he said if even if uh, someone was teaching false doctrine that the day of the Lord had already it was already taken place, the tribulation period with the Antichrist, and he says it's not. And he says that even if someone writes a letter allegedly from us saying it has, it hasn't. Don't accept it. And then he, at the end of the letter, that same letter, he says, this is my authenticating mark. And the reason why he needed to do that is he didn't, he wanted to protect against pseudonymous writings, against people who were posing as him. And that was a problem that they had to deal with. So this letter was written to also uh, Christians in the various, pro, uh, various cities and, and towns of the Roman province of Asia in the first century, which is now known as Turkey. Uh, it wasn't just written to the Ephesian Christian community. We know that because this is a circular letter and we know that because in the earliest and most ancient and best manuscripts that we have, Ephesus is not in Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, in fact, uh, we see in Colossians chapter 4, at the end of that book, a book we studied in the past, we saw that uh, Paul tells the Colossian Christian community to exchange letters with the Laodiceans and read their letter, the, La the letter to the Laodiceans. Now, we don't have that in the canon of Scripture, we don't think, right? Well, it is. It's But uh, Ephesians, what we know is Ephesians, is actually La is what he, uh, is Laodiceans. In fact, uh, uh, and, and we see that we that's supported by the fact that a man named Martian, who's actually a heretic, but he, uh, that doesn't uh, discredit his, uh, what he says. Uh, he says that uh, he saw the same letter we call Ephesians, and, uh, but it was written, it was identified, uh, the, uh, the recipients were as said to be the Laodiceans, which makes it sound, that sounds pretty uh, peculiar. A lot of people, scholars and pastors believe what I believe, that that was the letter of the Laodiceans that Paul mentions in Colossians is actually Ephesians. In fact, Ephesians, uh, we see that the, the, the man who carried this letter, uh, Tychicus, uh, to, to, from Rome to, uh, to Colossae and Philemon, which we know were together, uh, this word, what we know as Ephesians, was also was carried by him and delivered to him. So Ephesus was his main base, and for he's he started the uh, you know uh, he he started the church uh, in Ephesus, uh, the church plant there. He was there for three years. It was his main quarters in the Roman province of Asia. He was there for three years, according to Acts eighteen nineteen and twenty. And so that's and and that's another indication that this is a circular letter because there's no personal greetings which we would expect uh, if uh, if he knew these people and he did. So now so the fact that he's not giving any personal greetings here is not to total support for a circular letter. What I gave you earlier about uh, the manuscripts is, but uh, it does uh, serve to lend credibility to that interpretation of that uh, of uh, the recipients of this letter. Now. The purpose of this letter is to maintain experientially uh, unity between the Jewish and Gentile Christian communities. And the section of Ephesians that we're working on now lends uh, support for that interpretation, which is verses 11 through 22 of chapter 2 of Ephesians is talking about how Jewish believers, and in the beginning of chapter 3, chapter 3 verses 1 through 13, that Jewish uh, Gentile church age believers are, are uh, co-heirs, co um, members of the body of Christ and co-partakers of the messianic promise uh, through faith in Christ and justification and union identification with him through the baptism of the spirit with Jewish believers. And together, Jewish and church age, Jewish Gentile believers and Gentile, Jewish, Jewish and uh, Gentile church age believers together form the new humanity and the bride of Christ that's going to reign with Christ and dispossess Satan at the second advent. So this is important. So, uh, this uh, so they Paul was he knew that obviously he taught in this letter and other places that 
there's unity positionally through the baptism of the Spirit between Jewish and Gentile believers. And there's also unity, there will be, in a perfective sense, in a resurrection body when we at the rapture of the church. But there's the potential for this unity uh, to uh, be disunity or, or a potential to be maintain that unity experientially, and that's through the command to love one another and all that involves. And uh, Paul talks about how to do that in Romans 14 with the dietary regulations. Some Jewish, the week in that passage of Jewish believers who think that they're still under the dietary regulations, like Peter was when he, in the book of Acts when he was told by God in a vision three times, you can eat all foods now. And, uh, and the strong in that passage in Romans 14 are those who are, believe that they can eat all foods like Jesus taught in Mark chapter 7. And uh, so, uh, the, and, and Gentile believers who could believe they could eat all things too. So, so if you adhere to what Paul says in Romans 14, you'll maintain that unity experientially with each other. So this is very important. And so we don't, we know, in a, and I've been bringing this out, in the 21st century, and for centuries now, the church has been primarily Gentile. Except for the early part of the, the, the first half of the, the first century, it's been tr primarily Gentile. Because the, the, the majority of Jews have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Only a small remnant have believed in him. So, we take this for granted, okay? But back then, it was culture shock for a Jew and a Gentile to have supper with each other, have dinner, lunch with each other. They just didn't do that. And the reason why is because of the law. And Paul talks about in this passage, there was a hostility between the Jewish and Gentile races because of the Mosaic law for two reasons. We put it out. One uh, was the dietary regulations, clean and unclean foods that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, the unclean foods were those uh, foods that they could not eat. With the clean were they could eat. Now the thing is, with the unclean food, why did God do this? Um, some people like to think it was just for diet, uh, for health reasons. That's not true. The real reason, if you read uh, the, the the Old Testament and read the law and these dietary regulations, because the eating of these unclean foods. Remember, Israel was going into the land. Okay, they got these dietary regulations before they entered into the land. Who was in the land? The Canaanites. God was using Israel to dispossess them and to judge them and get them out of there. So he didn't want him giving the land to Israel. He didn't want the Jews going in there to, to uh, partake of these foods because it would lead them into the worship of their false gods because these unclean foods actually were related to the worship of the gods of the Canaanites and their and other indigenous people there. There you go, all right? The other reason is there was a hostility between the Jews and Gentiles is because the, the Jews uh, had an arrogance because they some thought, oh, because we got the law that we're better than the Gentiles. So it, pro it produced an arrogance. It shouldn't have. So, in fact, it should have produced humility because the law teaches us that we're sinners before a holy God just like the Gentiles are. So that's the way it, way it was. So Peter, in Acts chapter 10, it was given a vision three times by God and tell him to eat all the clean and unclean animals, the unclean animals on a white sheet three times. And he said, eat those, eat, eat them. And Pete, Paul, Peter at first said, no, I can't. You didn't, you told me, we're not supposed to. I've never had anything unclean uh, from birth. Well, God says, what I've said is clean is now clean, Peter. So he partook of it and God was teaching him something. One, the dietary regulations are gone. And the other thing he was teaching them is you could have fellowship with the Gentiles because knocking on the door right after that vision was a man uh, sent by Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, uh, who wanted, uh, was uh, God told him in a vision with the angel to, um, that he would send Peter to him and to give him the gospel. And Cornelius came calling for him. And so he came, went to see Cornelius, went into his home, something that would never happen 
uh, if God didn't give him that vision. And, and so therefore, the baptism of the Spirit took place among Cornelius and his family and friends, just like it did among the Jewish believers in Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost in June of 33 AD when the church began. So, so that's, so we're, us Gentiles really take for granted, us Gentile church age believers forget about these things and I'm really not, it's not taught the way it should because it gives us a great appreciation for our relationship with God and our, so we, you know, so there's, so there's also this passage is teaching us in Ephesians 2, 11 through uh, 22, that there's no place for racial bigotry or, you know, because the, basically the, the problem between the two races, Jewish and Gentile, was wiped away with Jesus Christ, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father, because it just fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law in the sense that he suffered the consequences for our failing to keep the law perfectly, which God required because he's perfect. And also he suffered the consequences uh, for um, uh, us not keeping the law by suffering the wrath of God on the cross so that we wouldn't suffer it forever, forever in the lake of fire. He also kept the law perfectly, which we couldn't do which the law required if you're going to have a relationship and a fellowship with God through obedience to the law. You better be perfect. None of us can do that. So Jesus totally obliterated the law so that it's taken out of the way and there's no rate, should be no racial uh, problems in, between the members of the body of Christ because there's none in a positional sense and there will be none in a perfective sense in a resurrection body. So uh, the, again, this is the power of the gospel. The gospel is about the good news about uh, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall never perish but have eternal life. For the Father did not send the Son of the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And so the good news, both Jew and Gentile sinners, remember of the first three chapters of Romans, there's none righteous, no, not one between the two races, but uh, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, uh, there is, uh, you can have eternal life and you receive the righteousness of God and the Father declares you justified, accepts you, and then you're placed in union with Christ and identified with Him. And so we're part of the new humanity. As I said before, remember Adam and Eve were designed to rule over the works of God's hands, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But as the writer of Paul in Hebrews chapter 2 says, we don't see all things subjected to him, mankind. Why? Because Satan usurped the, Adam, the authority of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they got him to fall. And so that's why he's called the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world is under his power. He offered up the kingdoms of the world to Jesus Christ. And his temptation, and Jesus, of course, emphatically rebuked him with the word of God. And then we see that that wouldn't have been a legitimate temptation if he did not, in fact, Satan have that kind of authority. He does, and he will continue to do so until the second advent of Christ, when Jesus ends the times of the Gentiles, and simultaneously the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period. And uh, at that time, he not only defeats uh, the tribulational armies and wipes them out, but and also Antichrist and false prophet, but also... Uh, Satan and the fallen angels are in prison for a thousand years. We now will be sitting on the throne of planet Earth. In fact, our head, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, it sits at the right hand of the Father, and he has the title deed to Earth, the seven seal scroll, the Revelation chapter 5, that only he was worthy to open. And we're in union with him through the baptism of the Spirit. And we sit at the right hand of the Father. We are in a position of authority. He is the head. We are the members of the body. Uh, he's the bridegroom, okay? We're the bride. Uh, he is the chief cornerstone. We're the, corner, the stones of the building. He's the vine. We're the branches. We're, all those metaphors are ex telling us how inextricably tied to Jesus we are because 
We are his bride. Ephesians 5 tells us that. That's a mystery not known to Old Testament saints. That's you, okay? That is you. Don't say, hey, I'm just a, I'm just a housewife. Don't say, oh, I'm just a, a plumber. Or, just, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a homeless person. I, you know, I just, I, I can't pay the rent. You know, I mean, I, 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 don't make excuses. Don't, it doesn't matter what you think of yourself or what other people think of you. What matters is who you are in Christ, what God thinks of you. And if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you what God thinks about you. So don't define yourself by your money or your position in life or that you're married and have kids or you don't have kids and you're single and you're free as a bird and all that stuff. That doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean anything, really. It's context. What matters really in life is who you are in Christ. God loves me. I'm created in his image. He loves me. I'm somebody. I'm a value to him. And he's got a plan for my life. And praise God for that and give thanks. And let's live our lives in a, in a manner that's consistent with that. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 at my translation. Now correspondingly, even though each and every one of you as a corporate unit with spiritually dead ones because of your transgressions, in other words, because of your sins, each and every one of you formerly lived by means of these in agreement with the standard of the unregenerate people of this age, which is the production of the cosmic world system, in agreement with the standard of the sovereign ruler, namely the sovereign governmental authority ruling over the evil spirits residing in the earth's atmosphere, specifically the spirit who is presently working in the lives of those members of the human race who are characterized by disobedience, among whom each and every one of us also formally, for our own selfish benefit, conducted our lives by means of those lusts which are produced by our flesh, specifically by indulging those inclinations which are produced by our flesh. In other words, those impulses which are the product of our flesh. Consequently, each and every one of us caused ourselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of our natural condition from physical birth, just as the rest correspondingly caused themselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of their natural condition from physical birth. But because God is rich with regards to mercy, because of the exercise of his great love with which he loved each and every one of us, even though each and every one of us is a corporate unit with spiritually dead ones because of our transgressions, he caused each and every one of us to be made alive together with the one and only Christ. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace. Specifically, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be raised with him. Correspondingly, he caused each and every one of us as a corporate unit to be seated in the heavenlies because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. He did this so that he could display for his own glory during the ages which are certain to come the incomparable wealth which is the product of his grace because of kindness for the benefit of each and every one of us because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. Each and every one of you is a corporate unit are saved because of grace by means of faith. In other words, this salvation never originated from any one of you as a source. It originated as the gift from God. It never originated from meritorious actions as a source so that a person cannot, for their own benefit, enter into the state of boasting. For each and every one of us are his creative workmanship. For each and every one of us has been created by means of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus in order to produce actions which are divine good. These God prepared in advance so that each of us would conduct our lives by means of them. Therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit must continue to make it your habit of remembering that formerly each of you who belong to the Gentile race with respect to the human body, specifically those who receive the designation uncircumcision by those who receive the designation circumcision with respect to the human body performed by human hands, 
Each one of you used to be characterized as without a relationship with Christ. Each one of you used to be alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship. Specifically, each of you used to be strangers to the most important promise, which is the product of the covenants. Each of you used to not possess a confident expectation of blessing. Consequently, each one of you used to be without a relationship with God in the, cos- in the sphere of the cosmic world system. However, because of your faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus, each and every one of you as a corporate unit who formerly were far away have been brought near by means of the blood belonging to this same Christ. For he himself personifies our peace, namely by causing both groups to be one, specifically by destroying the wall which served as the barrier, that is that which caused the hostility, and that's between the two races with each other and the two with God. In other words, by nullifying by means of his human nature, the law composed of the commandments, consisting of a written code of laws, in order that he might cause the two to be created into one new humanity, by means of faith in himself and justification, and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit. Thus he caused peace to be established. That's again between the two races with each other and the two with God. In other words, in order that he would reconcile both groups into one body to God through his cross. Consequently, he put to death the hostility, and that's again between the two races with each other and the two with God. He did this by means of faith in himself and justification and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit. Correspondingly, he as a result came proclaiming peace for the benefit of each and every one of you, namely those who are far off, likewise peace to those who are near. Consequently, through the personal, intermediate agency of himself, each and every one of us as a corporate unit, namely both groups, are experiencing access by means of the omnipotence of the one spirit to the presence of the Father. Indeed, therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit are no longer foreign citizen, foreigners to the covenants of promise, that is foreign citizens, but rather each and every one of you as a corporate unit are fellow citizens with the saints, that is, members of God's household, because each and every one of you as a corporate unit, had been built upon the foundation, which is the communication of the gospel to each one of you by the apostles, as well as the prophets. Simultaneously, he himself, namely Christ Jesus, is the cornerstone. Then he says in verses 21 and 22 to close the chapter, on the basis of its being continually fitted inextricably together by means of justification by faith and union identification with him. The whole building is growing into a holy temple by appropriating by faith union and identification with the Lord. In other words, by appropriating by faith your union and identification with Him, all of you, without exception, are being built together into God's dwelling place by means of the omnipotence of the Spirit. What a tremendous chapter. Verse 20 is composed of a causal participial clause and a temporal participial clause. And uh, the causal uh, participial clause is in the Greek text for those who are interested, epoikoidomethentes, Epi, toe, familio, tone, apostolone, chi, prophetone, which I translate because each and every one of you as a corporate unit have been built upon the foundation, which is the communication of the gospel to each one of you by the apostles and the prophets. Uh, the Good News Bible, they translate it. You two are built upon the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. And then we have a temporal, uh, uh, temporal uh, participial clause, as I said before. That is ontos. Akroniaiu, autu, Christo Yesu. So it's antos, akrogoniaiu, akrogoniaiu, autu, Christo Yesu, which is translated simultaneously. 
He himself, namely Christ Jesus, is the cornerstone. So the the Good News Bible, they translate this, the cornerstone being Christ Jesus himself. All right, so we have here the causal participial clause, which we'll look at today. The causal participial clause presents the reason why the recipients of this epistle, who were Gentile church-age believers, living in the Roman province of Asia, were fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. So it asserts that, as you can see in my translation and the Good News Bible, it asserts that it was because they had been built upon the foundation, which is the communication of the gospel to them by the apostles and the New Testament prophets, which resulted in the Father declaring them justified as a result of having exercised faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. So again, the very first participial clause which again, the Good News Bible translates, you too are being built upon the foundation by, laid by the apostles and the prophets. That particular assertion there is a statement, is actually a participial clause in the Greek, and it's telling us the reason for that previous clause that we saw in the, in the, in the, uh, in the previous verse, in verse 19. So the causal participial clause, this statement, presents the reason why the recipients of this letter, again, were Gentile church-age believers living in the Roman province of Asia. It's telling them the reason why they were fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Why? Because they were built upon the foundation, which is the communication of the gospel to them by the apostles and the New Testament prophets, and that resulted in the Father declaring them justified as a result of having exercised faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. So the temporal participial clause, which we'll look at next Tuesday, Today, we're just looking at the causal participle clause. The temporal participial clause indicates contemporaneous action, which means it's, uh, it's functioning simultaneously with the causal participial clause. And that's why, with my translation, I translate this uh, idea as simultaneously, see? Because that statement, he himself, namely Christ Jesus, the chief cornerstone, that's, uh, that took place. It's, simul it's simultaneously occurring with the first statement in the verse. All right, so uh, let me get back to my notes here. So we see here that the temporal participial clause indicates contemporaneous action with the causal participial clause. And that temporal participial clause, as we saw, asserts that he himself, the Christ who is Jesus, is the cornerstone of this building and specifically the temple of God. So like Ephesians 2.19, Paul's using another metaphor uh, like Ephesians 2.19, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, which ends the chapter, contains a metaphor. Now, we noted in our last class, several classes, last two classes, in Ephesians 2.19, that verse, we have Paul employing two metaphors to describe Gentile Christians, not only in relation to the Jewish Christian community, but in relation to every believer in every Old Testament dispensation in the past. Now, the first metaphor is that Gentile Christians are citizens in a city. And the second is that they are members of a family. Now, as we noted, he's using these two metaphors for emphasis in order to emphatically emphasize that they share equal status in the kingdom of God with Jewish believers in the past Old Testament dispensations and with those believers in the, who lived in the dispensations before the establishment of the nation of Israel. In other words, Paul is stating in emphatic terms to the Gentile Christian community, that they are by no means second-rate citizens. Very important, because back in Paul's day, they were considered second-rate citizens by the Jewish people. So therefore, we can see, and in our study of Ephesians 2.19, we can see that these two metaphors present an emphatic contrast between the unregenerate state of these Gentile church-age believers and 
their present regenerate state as justified sinners who are in union with Jesus Christ and identified with him and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. So now we get another one, another metaphor. We have a building metaphor, a temple metaphor here in Ephesians 2.20. And so it's used to describe the church like the previous two metaphors. So here in Ephesians 2.20, the word for apostles, apostolos, it's employed as a designation for the temporary spiritual gift assigned to the 12 men, Jesus Christ, sovereignly chosen and delegated authority to exercise over the church. So, uh, and, and this is very important, so it's a temporary spiritual gift, meaning uh, that uh, it, it doesn't exist anymore, this gift. It was only given to, tw- uh, well, it was only given to 12 men. We know that Judas, he died, obviously, and he was not even a believer, but uh, he was chosen by the Lord because he was the one to portray the Lord. And so, uh, that makes that despite the fact that he chose him to be an apostle, knowing that he would betray him, doesn't take away volitional responsibility from um, Judas Iscariot for doing what he did to Jesus and rejecting him as Savior. So we see that Paul replaced him, okay? And Paul replaced him, and so uh, to be an apostle, there were certain qualifications. Now, to me, today, some people call themselves apostles. I think a lot of them do it because uh, I don't think that they... They're looking at them as, as part of the foundation of the church, the apostles that Paul's talking about. I think, you know, the word apostle just means one who's sent. And so well, a lot of times guys use, you know, I'm an apostle. They say apostle. You usually see it in the Pentecostal movement. Basically, they're sent by God to teach the word of God. I mean, but then there's some people who think that they, you know, where they're thinking they're, they have the office of apostle. So these 12 men had what we call the gift apostleship, but it really also is an office. It was only given to 12 men. So again... That's why I say it's temporary because it, it's been discontinued. The death of John the Apostle, the last of the apostles to die, who didn't die a violent death, a martyr, uh, is, is John, although they tried to boil him in oil. Uh, we, church history tells us, and they failed. Uh, he was When he died at, at the end of the first century, probably around 98 AD, uh, he, uh, that was the end of the gift. Uh, the apostles were no because you had, to be, you had to be specifically chosen by Jesus to be an apostle, okay? That's why um, Matthias was never really an apostle, Jesus, because he didn't was he was. They tried to use an Old Testament method, Peter and those guys did, to choose the, uh, the replacement for Judas. Jesus will choose the replacement for for Judas, and he picked a Paul, according to Acts chapter nine. So it's extremely important to understand, with regards to this word apostolos, apostle, that the gift of apostleship is in view here, and not the twelve men themselves. Follow me. It's actually, it's through the exercise of this gift, which serves as the foundation of the church. This gift was bestowed upon these 12 men at their justification, their conversion. So the Spirit worked through them when they exercised this gift by communicating the gospel. So therefore, this word, when you see the word apostle there, it contains the figure of metonymy, which means that the apostles are put for the exercise of their Spirit-imparted gift. These 12 men received at justification. Now, how can I support that? Well, I can support this interpretation by the contents of Ephesians 4.11 and 1 Corinthians 12.28, which reveal that the gift of apostleship was foundational to the growth of the church numerically and with regards to the spiritual growth of individual believers. Uh, It says in 1 Corinthians 12.28, and God has placed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helps, gifts of leadership, 
and different kinds of tongues. So notice the, the guys like me who have the gift of teaching, we're third in the ladder. And the prophets and the apostles were at the top uh, because they're the foundation of the church in the first century. But when they when they both were gone, when the, the apostles, last apostle John died, and then when the completed canon of scripture took place, there was no need for a prophets because they filled the void before, as we'll see, before the New Testament was finished. Now at the top of the ladder is us teachers. But of course, the apostles and Jesus are above us. We're, we're, we're delegated authority just like they are to the, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it also says, and look at Ephesians 4.11. Hold your place, go to Ephesians 4.11. Actually, let's start, let's start at uh, Ephesians 4.1. This is a cool passage. We'll be studying this in detail. We kind of looked at this quite a bit, and uh, we did our series on the, uh, the gift to pass the teacher. So it says in Ephesians 4.1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner, I'm reading from the Net Bible, in case you're wondering, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. There is the purpose of the letter right there making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's the purpose of the letter. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you two are called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he captured captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, what is the meaning of he ascended, except that he also descended, to the lower regions, namely the earth. He, the very one who descended, is also the one who ascended above all the heavens in order to fill all things. It was he, Jesus Christ, who gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now, the translation there I don't agree with. Uh, well, you could you could probably, you know, I don't agree with it, and here's why. And I, I talked about this, and I don't want to get too much bogged down here because our subject is the apostles and the prophets, but... Um, teachers is basically a subset of pastors. Um, a pastor could be, um, a pastor simply means as overseership, but, uh, um, teachers, uh, there's the gift of leadership, the gift of administrations. I, and Paul talks about that in first Corinthians 12, 28, in that same passage. Um, that's the gift of leadership. Paul calls it in Romans leadership and administrations, some translations, first Corinthians 12, 28. And together with the teachers, they compose the authority of the church. So the teachers are actually one of two gifts that fall into the category of pastors or elders, okay? So that's, uh, we talk about that. We'll talk about that in detail when we get to it. But go back to my past the teacher series. I go into the, uh, the, uh, the, the Granville shot rope was not in effect there. And I go into the whole thing and what it actually is going on there. So here's the purpose. It says, the purpose of, the, and I want to concentrate on the apostles and the prophets, and this is true of pastors, te pastor teachers. Uh, we, we are, the exercise of our gift is related to the, the, the growth of the character, okay, as this pastor is going to tell us. And evangelists, they add numeric, the exercise of their gift adds to the, numerically to the, to the church, okay, the numbers. Apostles and prophets, they do both, okay? So, we see that the purpose of these these communication gifts are one, and you know, by the way, when it says pastors and teachers there, that if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 28, notice the teachers are third, it doesn't say pastors, 
So that's lending credibility to my interpretation there, by the way. So verse 12 says, to equip the saints, the purpose of these communication gifts, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that is to build up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person, attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. There's the per this whole chapter is talking about uh, keeping the unity experientially in the church between Jewish and Gentile believers and, and the, the Jewish believers with each other and Gentile believers with each other, whatnot. Verse 14, so we are no longer to be children, tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth and love, we will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head, from whom the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament as each one does its part. The body grows in love through the, by practice of the, the command to love one another. So, again, we see that uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, the word for apostolos, uh, apostolos, the word for apostles, which is a transliteration from the Greek apostolos, uh, is employed as a designation for the temporary spiritual gift assigned to the 12 men Jesus Christ sovereignly chose and delegated authority to, to exercise over the church. It is extremely important, again, to understand with regards to this word that the gift of apostleship is in view is not uh, is in view in here and not the 12 men themselves the the exercise of the gift it is through the exercise of the gift at which serves as the foundation of the church and this gift was bestowed upon these 12 men at their justification and the spirit worked through them when they exercised this gift by communicating the gospel therefore this word apostle contains the figure of metonymy which means that the apostles are put for the exercise of their spirit imparted gift these 12 men received at justification, and that uh, interpretation is supported again by the contents of Ephesians 4.11 and 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12.28, which revealed that the gift of apostleship was foundational to the growth numerically of the church and with regards to its spiritual growth of individual believers. Now, in Ephesians 2.20, the word for prophets, prophetes, it too is a temporary spiritual gift. Here, it refers to the exercise of the temporary or discontinued spiritual gift of being a prophet which is no longer existent since it existed during the pre-canon period of the church age to fill the void until the New Testament canon had been completed. And this gift is mentioned in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, many places, 13, 2, 14, 22, Ephesians 2, 20 here, of course, Ephesians 3, 5, and Ephesians 4, 11, as we just saw. Now, as was the case for apostles, apostolos, it's also extremely important to understand that the word for prophets, prophetes, uh, is uh, that they, this gift of prophecy is in view here and not the men and women who possess this gift. Yes, some women had this gift of prophecy in the New Testament. It is through the exercise of the gift of prophet, which serves as the foundation of the church along with the exercise of the gift of apostleship. So these New Testament prophets are also mentioned again in Acts 11.27, 13.1, 15.32, We also see them uh, this gift mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12.28 as we just pointed out. 1 Corinthians 12, 14, 29, 32, and 37. It's mentioned three times in that chapter. And also, as we saw in Ephesians 4, 11. And like the gift of apostleship, the gift of prophet was bestowed upon people at justification. The Spirit, like the gift of apostleship, the Spirit worked through those who possessed this gift of prophecy when they communicated the gospel. So therefore, this would tell us that the, the, this word, like prof, uh, apostle, is uh, containing the figure of metonymy which means that the prophets are put for the exercise of their spirit-imparted uh, gift that they received at justification. And that, again, 
like uh, when we used uh, to support the gift of apostleship about that, this interpretation of the prophet, that it's speaking of the exercise of his gift uh, or her gift, uh, is, and not the, these people themselves, is supported by, again, by the contents of Ephesians 4.11 and 1 Corinthians 12.28, which again, as we saw, revealed that the exercise or the function of the gift of prophecy, along with the exercise or the function of the gift of apostleship, was foundational to the growth of the church, both numerically and spiritually as individual members. Now that the noun prophetes, prophet, here in Ephesians 2.20, does not refer to Old Testament prophets of Israel, is indicated by the fact that Paul's describing the foundation of the church, isn't he? He's not talking about Israel. And uh, the church was a mystery not known to Old Testament prophets as indicated by Paul's statements in Ephesians 3.5. So it's not talking about the Old Testament prophets. How do we know that? It's not just something, it's my opinion. It's not my opinion. It can't be my opinion. What what does the scriptures teach? So you have to compare scripture with scripture. That's a principle of uh, interpretation. The word prophet here in Ephesians 2.20 can't possibly talk about the Old Testament prophets because it's saying that this gift, along with apostleship, is foundational to the church. And we know the church was not known to the Old Testament. Nobody knew about it. It was a mystery. How do I know that? Look at Ephesians 3.5. Actually, look at Ephesians 3.1. We'll start there in context. Look at Ephesians 3.1. So Ephesians 3, 1 says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, that by revelation, the divine secret, a lot of the translations say mystery, the older ones. I, I use that. Divine secret's really good too. That by revelation, the divine secret, he's going to tell you what the content of that secret is in verse 6, was made known to me. As I wrote before briefly, when reading this, you'll be able to understand my insight into this secret of Christ. Now, this secret, this mystery, was, and this is, this is what mystery or divine secret means. It talks about something that was not known to the Old Testament saints. Was not disclosed to people in former generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Namely, that through the gospel, the Gentiles, our fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of, in Christ Jesus, with who? The Jewish believers, of course. As we just saw, in Ephesians, we know that because of he's, he's building on what he said in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, that those who were far away, the Gentiles, have been brought near to the Jews through faith alone in Jesus Christ, okay? So, again, my, you go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, we can see that this word prophetes, prophet, here in Ephesians 2, 20, does not refer to the Old Testament prophets of Israel. And we know that because Paul's describing the foundation of the church here, which was a mystery as we saw in Ephesians 3, 5, not known to Old Testament prophets as indicated by, again, his statements in Ephesians 3, 5. So the articular construction of the noun apostolos uh, binds together the temporary spiritual gift of apostles and prophets together, signifying that the exercise of both of these discontinued communication spiritual gifts constitutes the foundation of the church. Let me say something again. Say that, repeat this again and, and bring out something interesting about the Greek text, which I, you might find interesting. For, the, for those who are pastors, or even if you're not. So, the articular construction of this noun, apostles, apostolos, it's actually the article, which is the in English. The Greek article does a lot. Here, it's actually binding together the temporary spiritual gifts of apostles and prophets, uniting them, signifying that the exercise 
of both of these discontinued communication spiritual gifts constitutes the foundation of the church. Now, let me give you a, an interpretive issue that's out there. I think Wayne Grudem, is, uh, who did a systematic theology, is, uh, is one who adheres to this. So, let me explain what I mean. So, you see this, the apostles and prophets? Notice the, the, it's an article, okay? It's before, in the Greek text, the word apostles, but we don't see the article before prophets. Now, some believe, and they're wrong about this because they don't know the rule, uh, the Granville Sharp rule. And they believe that when you have the article, the article, the article before uh, these two words, and, there's, there's, and it's connected by the, the conjunction and, and uh, there's no article before the second word, but only before the first, that these actually refer to the same thing. That's not true. Actually, because uh, these nouns are plural. The Granville Sharp rule doesn't work with plural nouns, plural words. Okay, very important. That's why it doesn't. That's why it doesn't work that way. It's not the Granville Sharp rule is not in effect in Ephesians four eleven with pastors and teachers. Something else is going on there. So, uh, that, so therefore, what I'm telling you, the article's doing something, and it's actually all it's doing. Really, I shouldn't say all it's doing, but it's actually binding these two together. Why? Because together, the article's saying. The thought there in English is telling, saying that these two gifts are putting them together as the foundation of the church. That's why the article is there. That's why they put the article Paul did through the Spirit before apostles and not before prophets for a reason. Binding them together. Not saying that they're the same thing. Okay? With one building on the other explaining the other. No. It's just saying that they together. It's joining them together and saying that together they're the foundation of the church. Simple as that. Alright? Now, in the causal participial clause, and we'll close with this. Here in Ephesians 2.20, we have that word for foundation, themelios. In fact, there's a, there's a journal I like to read uh, from time to time. Uh, D.A. Carson used to be the editor of it, is uh, themelios. And uh, it's a great great stuff. And uh, I, got, I mean, I got tons of journals, but uh, I, they've had a lot of cool articles over the years. I don't agree with everything. They're not my, then I don't have a dispensational point of view, but we agree with a lot, a lot of stuff, <laughs> most stuff, really. But uh, we see that uh, so that word, they, they get the name of their, uh, uh, what do you call it, their um, thing from, um, the name of their ar journal article from this biblical word, okay? So this word foundation, themelios, in the Greek, it's used in a figurative sense uh, for the uh, spirit-empowered communication of the gospel by the apostles and the New Testament prophets to the members of the body of Christ when they were unregenerate. The word describes the exercise of the temporary spiritual gifts of apostleship and prophecy as the foundational support of the church. In other words, people, it was the gifts of apostleship and prophet that were the foundation and not the men themselves because these gifts were imparted to them by the Holy Spirit at their justification. The Spirit worked through them, as we pointed out, as they exercised these, their gifts in communicating the gospel. So it brings out a principle here. Don't fall in love with my... With my uh, you might like me as a, a person if you know me personally. You might not. Uh, but really, the uh, what you should be thankful for when you hear me is it's I it's always respect people who you know it's always nice to have people say especially their, express their thankfulness to my ministry or um, you know say nice things and complimentary encourage me that's great it's nothing wrong with that and show respect for your pastor that's great but uh, don't go too far and make me uh, you know an idol then you've gone too far you know pra praise God that He gave me the gift and these other people who have the gift the same gift I have. Um, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. 
there's no merit in that really. I mean, somewhere. I mean, he, so I, I mean, he, he, it's the gift he gave me. I mean, think about it. It's just true of all of us. I got this gift. It didn't got, I did, it's not my idea. I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, God gave me this gift. He gave me the spirit. Um, he gave me the scriptures. What do, and he gave me my soul. He gave me my volition. Only thing I can control and take credit for is my, be responsible for is my own decisions. Uh, other than that, everything else was given to me by God and faith. When I use my volition to, for, and exercise it and have faith in his word and obedience and doing what he wants me to do and using this gift to help members of the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ with the gift of evangelism, uh, you know, it's, I mean, how could I take credit for anything? It's like, it's just, you know, it's not, so don't make a big deal out about pastors. Don't make, when I mean, we have too much of a celebrity, you know, um, celebrity the world is rubbed off on America loves America loves celebrities so we try to make pastors out to be celebrities don't make me a celebrity I've always uh gone after people who try to to do the stuff like that I try to dis, I try to discourage it thank you for the for your encouragement or your respect for what I do and doing what the word of God says but there's I'm really nothing in myself as Paul said it's true I really believe it's I believe that of course it's true and uh, because everything I, if anything, it's good is, is, is him. Okay. So I'm just making a decision to do what he tells me to do. Okay. He gets the credit. So we see that the spirit worked through these uh, uh, people who had the uh, men who had uh, the gift of apostleship and prophecy. The spirit worked through them as they exercised their gifts in communicating the gospel. In fact, as we pointed out earlier, Ephesians 4.11 again and 1 Corinthians 12.28 revealed that these two gifts were foundational in relation to the church. And lastly, the church grew numerically and spiritually as a result of the function of these two temporary spiritual gifts. The church grew numerically as a result of both Jews and Gentiles responding to the communication of the gospel by the apostles and prophets by exercising faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And consequently, the Father declared them justified. And simultaneously, He placed them in union with His Son and identified them with His Son and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at his right hand through the baptism of the Spirit. Now the word for apostles and prophets, apostolos and prophetes, in the Greek text they function as epexegetical genitives, which are means that they're clarifying the ambiguity expressed by the noun themelios, foundation. So in other words, if you look at the Bible, it says, because you've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So when he says you uh, the foundation, okay, that's ambiguous. What he, he defines it with these two words. What's the foundation? The gifts, the exercise of the gifts of apostleship and prophecy. That's what he means by foundation. So that's what Epigenetical is simply telling us. So thus, we see apostles and prophets, apostolos and prophetes, are identifying the referent of Themelios foundation, uh, indicating that the apostles and the New Testament prophets are in fact the foundation of the church and specifically we see that the, the, these gifts, these two gifts, identify the referent of the foundation, indicating that the function or the exercise of the gift of apostleship and prophet are in fact the foundation of the church, or consist of the founder, consist as the foundation of the church. As we also noted earlier, the, the articulate construction of the noun of apostles, apostolos, unites these temporary spiritual gifts of apostleship and prophets. In other words, the articulate construction indicates that both gifts define the referent of themelios, the foundation. Thus, both words are functioning as epigenetical genitives, defining the word for foundation. And interesting, the word for foundation, themelios, is also the object of the preposition epi, 
which is marking, this is important because it's marking the exercise or function of the gifts of apostleship and prophet as those who exercise authority over the church through the exercise of their spiritual gifts. And the word epoikotomeo, which is uh, translated in the Net Bible as having, you have been built. And that's interesting. This same word appears later on in the next two verses. Uh, we see uh, and, uh, later on, it says being built together. It's our being, it's in the present tense. Notice there, but here it's in the past tense. That's because in verse 20, have been built, it's talking about something that took place at our justification. Whereas in verse 22, the present tense tells us he's talking about uh, spiritual growth through fellowship with God there. Whereas in verse 20, he's talking about this word, epokoidomeo, in relation to justification. So, the verb epokoidomeo is used here in a figurative sense in verse 20, for the members of the body of Christ, i.e. the church, having been constructed or established upon the foundation which is the spirit and spot empowered in communication of the gospel to them by the gifts of apostleships, the men who had the gift of apostleships and the men and women who had the gift of prophecy. And the participle conjugation of this verb, uh, it's a causal participle, which indicates, that's why it's a causal clause. It indicates that it's presenting the reason why the Gentile Christians are fellow citizens with the saints from every past Old, Des- Old Testament dispensation and members of God's household. So therefore, as we close, this verb, which is translated in the Net Bible, you have been built, that verb, would express the idea that these Gentile Christians, you and I, were fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household because, quote-unquote, we have been built upon the foundation, which is the spirit-empowered proclamation of the gospel to us by the apostles and New Testament prophets. When I say us, uh, we get their writings in the New Testament. And uh, that's how we get uh, we received from them is through what we have in the scripture. All right, so we run out of time. And uh, so we, uh, we, I started a little bit late before I started teaching, so it's about, a, in the end, it turns out about an hour of teaching there, but, because uh, I had a lot of stuff to, uh, to, um, to tell you and show you. And uh, so I hope you joined um, enjoyed the class and I hope it'll be a blessing to you and I hope you like the, the better look now. I think it looks pretty cool. I think I don't look as white as I used to white it out. And uh, anyways, I don't look like a ghost. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll pick this up on Tuesday, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time as we finish off Ephesians 2.20 and continue to forge ahead in this great book, Ephesians. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time to gather together with other members of the body of Christ and study your word, whether they're live through uh, the, the um, YouTube or the recordings and uh, we have on our various websites, podcasts, the media platforms that you've given to us. I pray you would use this lesson mightily and uh, building up and edifying the members of your church, the bride of Christ. And uh, I just pray it would be a blessing to them, help them to understand and apply what they've been taught I pray it would uh, translate into a closer walk with you, a greater intimacy with you, and practice of the command to love one another with our fellow believers, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, and our, so that we maintain the unity of the Spirit. In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.